everybody, I'm Steve Weens, and this is my podcast where I explore humanity, spirituality, and mystery one word at a time. For more about my work, my writing, my books, my preaching, and all that good stuff, head on over to steveweens.com. Hello friends, today I want to invite you into maybe an uncomfortable place, but it might be an exciting place. I guess it depends on your personality type. But I want to talk about allowing yourself to learn new things, to change what you think and to expand as a human being. I want to invite you to ask some questions like, where do you read and watch your news? And do you ever question it? Do you ever think, I'm not sure if that's true or not? Or when you read something on Facebook or Twitter and it links something, but you don't click on the link, you just read the headline and you go, man, I can't believe that. And then you retweet that or you share that on Facebook and you realize later it was fake and you didn't even take time to check it out. So I want to ask some questions. What do you, what do you wish you knew more about really? And like, who would you like to spend time with in order to learn and expand more if you could? And are you asking that person to hang out or to have a conversation or to answer some questions via email? How curious are you that you might just not know everything there is to know in the world? And as I say that, that sounds so obvious, but I think it would be good to start 2017 with a much more curious nature. Maybe some skepticism, but mainly curiosity. Is that really true? Do I really think that that's the way forward? What is it about that certain subject that I would think, I might think differently if I knew more? So another question is, how are you using your imagination? to move past places of stuckness. So this podcast is all about learning. It's all about imagining. It's all about not accepting something just because you hear it. It's not about accepting something just because you've always thought a certain way. It's about exploring what you might not know. And that, my friends, I really do think is an exciting place, but it's also an uncomfortable place. Because sometimes you have to apologize because you came across as as seeming like you really knew something about a certain subject when you were really mostly uninformed. And that's okay. It is really okay to be uninformed, but it's not okay to stay there. I think it's really okay when you're in a conversation. I think it's really something we all need to do. When someone says, hey, you know that thing about that thing? And if you don't know that thing about that thing, have the humility and the curiosity to say, actually, no, I I really don't. Actually, I, I, I don't know about that policy that was just put forward by Congress. I, I, I actually don't know the history about the water in Flint, Michigan. Um, no, I don't I don't really know what's happening in Syria right now. And I probably should, but I don't. Could you could you tell me? What if we all had a much more curious uh and again and skeptical can be a bad thing, but it can also be a good thing in in small doses. It it just means you don't necessarily believe something is absolutely true the first time you hear it. It means you might need to go on a journey of learning more about something. So 
I want to tell a couple stories. First one is this Christmas time after Christmas, my extended family and I usually head up to my parents' cabin. And there's, you know, 15 of us that gather around and we have meals together. We play together. The kids play and we play cards and it's really, really fun. Well, my older sister, Lisa, uh, who I love, she took my older, my uh, youngest son, Ben, on a walk. And she told me when they got back, it was really fun because she said, I taught Ben the game I imagine. And I'm like, I've never heard of that game. Tell me about it. And so she's like, well, it's kind of like I spy. But, you know, with I spy, you look and then you see a green tree and you say, I spy with my little eye something green. And then the other person has to say, oh, is it that tree? Is it that bush? Is it that car? <laughs> I don't know why my voice just got weird like that. But like, like I spy is some terribly pejorative game, which you should never play. It's a fun game, but I imagine sounds even more fun. Lisa said that, uh, she said, I want you, Ben, to use your imagination and tell me what you see. It's all going to be in your mind, and then you have to tell me what you see. And so he said things like, I imagine a mountain made out of gears. It's like, man, that's cool. And then he said, I see sparkly sand that's pink and purple and crystally. And then Lisa told me that you could tell his mind was just going crazy. Well, uh, when he got home, Ben's like, Dad, I want to write a book. <laughs> like, that's amazing. Let's do it. And so he goes, but you have to help me, Dad, because I don't know how to type and I, I don't really know how to do it. And so uh, so we sat down and and we started to write this book and, and we're three chapters in and it's got characters uh, like Lloyd Octocopter and his daughter Lizzie, and another uh, and an evil character named Dooku Moo, <laughs> and uh, there's a son. Lloyd's son is named Phlebas, and this is all coming out of Ben's crazy, amazing imagination. Because it's one thing to, to, to play the I spy game. It's fun. You know, you say what you see and what everyone else can see. But there's another, I think, really lesson to learn in that game. I imagine, like, what are the things that uh, only you can see that you want to share with the world uh, and that you need to share with the world and uh, ways of being in the world that I think if we imagine together, uh, we might just explore something different and beautiful. So the next story uh, is is very different, but it's really about this the same idea of learning what you don't know and learning to admit it. Uh, this was about 15 years ago, and I was interviewing for this job in, in the church as a youth pastor. I used to be a youth pastor, which if you're not familiar with the uh, church nomenclature, I think most of you are, but uh, a youth pastor is a person who works with teenagers, and um, and that's what I was doing. That's what I had been doing for about five years and then there was this church in California. I wrote about it in my book, Beginnings, but there was this church in California that uh, was interviewing me. And the guy that was doing all these interviews, and it was fascinating because, I mean, again, this is a youth pastor position, which is important. And it was a large church, but uh, I probably did 13 or 14 different interviews over the course of three days. And this one guy, the executive pastor, his name was Jim Russell. To this day, I love this guy. Such a great dude. We've lost touch. Uh, and I would love to reconnect, but Jim was just an amazing guy, and he went around, and he was always there, but he had me talk to different people, and they asked all kinds of questions, uh, and they were trying to get to know me, and kind of what kind of ministry I would lead, and all this stuff. Well, 
there was this one dinner that we were having and it was just Mary and me and then Jim and his wife. And he asked me this question that, that, uh, he preceded by, he said, now we're going to get to the tough questions, you know, and I had already answered uh, literally more than a hundred questions from more than 20 people, probably 200 questions, who knows? And he said, now is the time for the tough question. And he said, uh, Steve, you're, I think at that time I was 32, which in the world of youth pastors is not young. Um, it's, you know, like middle-aged, a lot of youth pastors, 25, 26, 27. And he said on the spectrum of, let's say there was performance on one side and potential on the other side. Like imagine a spectrum and performances on, on the one side, meaning lots of experience and you've done it a lot and you kind of know what you're doing uh, versus potential, meaning, boy, you know, there's not too much experience there, but there's a lot of desire to learn. And maybe you don't totally know what you're going to do and you might make some mistakes, but you're, the potential is there. He said, as a 32-year-old youth pastor, where are you? And man, uh, I remember back in those days, I, I answered questions way too fast without really reflecting or maybe even asking follow-up questions. But I quickly surmised, at least in my mind, that probably what was wanted, because again, this was a large church. I think there was at that time about 5,000 people that went to it. Pretty large youth ministry in the several hundred category, lots of staff and volunteers. I thought, man, for sure, they want someone with with experience and uh, where the dial is more toward performance. And, you know, I thought about my experience and I thought, I have some good experience. I mean, I'd, I'd led staff before. I'd led a ministry that wasn't huge, but wasn't tiny before. And so I said, you know, I think um, on the spectrum, I'd be about 75% performance and 25% potential. Yeah, I, And he goes, okay, you think that's where you're at? And I said, you know what? Yeah. I mean, I think that's where I'm at. And inside, I was thinking, hopefully that was going to give enough of a sense of like, here's a humble guy. You know, he's he's still got 25% potential. I mean, there's still plenty of things that, that, you know, he doesn't know. Um, But there's enough performance. There's enough experience there where it's going to be okay. Like, you know, you're not going to drive this car off the cliff. And so he said, okay. So that's your answer. Well, I want to tell you that's the, those are exactly the, the, the opposite percentages that we're looking for. We're actually looking for 25% performance and 75% potential, <laughs> which is awesome. And he wasn't saying I was a bad person for answering the way I did, but he was looking at a guy that was going to be moving from Wisconsin to uh, Southern California. Someone that really was going to have a lot to learn about the culture, a lot to learn about what it meant to be to live in Southern California, especially Orange County. And yeah, my experience mattered in youth ministry. And that was why I was at the table as a person from Wisconsin in a relatively small church. Uh, but I I wasn't, according, I think, to... and. Uh, this guy was very fair, very honest. But according to what they were looking for and according to what they saw in me, they needed me to be like, I need to know you're a learner around here. And I think they were probably right on the money. I mean, I think I probably would have gone in. I hope I would have learned. 
hope I would have had the posture of a learner, but I think I would have had that 75 performance, 25% potential. Um, I think I would have had that perspective and I think they knew that it would have hurt me. Now, again, um, I think I've talked about this before, but I, I grew up in Southern California, a little north of LA. But man, I mean, I grew, I was there from 1970 to 1983. And when this interview was taking place, it was 2002. So it had been 20 years since I'd even been living in California. And, and even that was Ventura County, which is about 90 miles north of Orange County and could be, ba- I mean, basically that could be a different state. I mean, based on the culture in Ventura County and the culture in Orange County. If you're from those areas, you know what I'm talking about. So, uh, gang, what would it mean to approach life, your job, your relationships with even your spouse who you've been married to 21 years, with your theology, with your church, with um, politics, as more of a you know 25% performance and 75% potential? Meaning, what if you approached almost everything in your life as if, you had really a whole lot more to learn than you really do. So I'm going to bop through. I'm going to bop through. (laughs) I can't believe I used that word. Uh, I'm going to go through several different categories of things that I feel like lately uh, I'm learning about or people in my life are learning about. So uh, we are living in the midst of the largest refugee crisis uh, in history. Uh, right now, it, 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 we're talking about Syria, we're talking about Iraq, and it is crazy. So I'm reading a book by Jeremy Court called Preemptive Love, and it's about this guy who moved his family to Iraq uh, after the um, the Gulf War in the t- started in um, uh, 2003 when we invaded uh, Iraq, when after they had invaded Kuwait. And... It, the story is, the, 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 the book is all about stories after stories after stories of Jeremy Court meeting people. He met this one uh, man who said, hey, you're an American. This uh, man was Iraqi and he said, um, actually he was, he was Iranian. This man was Iranian. And he said, my daughter has a hole in her heart and I need some help. Can you help me? And Jeremy Court was like, I, my ministry is here for widowers. I, I have no, no experience dealing with kids in the medical field. I'm so sorry, but uh, no, I'm not going to be able to help you and your daughter. And so this man, this Iranian said, uh, well, here's the thing. You moved your family to Iraq, not because you wanted to say no to people. You moved your family to Iraq because you wanted to help people. So I'm going to ask you again. Can you help my daughter? This book is filled with stories of people who are um, who are extraordin- extraordinarily courageous and who are in extraordinary, um, uh, extraordinarily difficult circumstances. Uh, I learned about the the bombing of chemicals that Saddam Hussein um, did in 1988 on this town where people went blind, immediately 5,000 people died, where it was just 
um, a humanitarian atrocity. And I had to admit, I didn't know about it. I'm reading this book and I had to admit, okay, I was 18 years old in 1988. But back then, uh, in the Iran-Iraq war, you know, like, I mean, it, it was crazy. We were supplying Iraq against Iran with these weapons. The U.S. was. So then I had to sit with, as I'm reading this book, what does it mean that I belong to a country that provided weapons to a regime that later we went to war against and later we brought Saddam Hussein to trial and executed him? Unbelievable stuff. And so it's so complex. It's so multifaceted. The history goes back so far. So if you want to understand refugees, that's why I had Lynn Hybels on the podcast a few weeks ago. Encourage you to check that out if you haven't checked that out yet. Encourage you to read Preemptive Love by Jeremy Court. I'm going to have him on the podcast soon. Because I think it's important for us to learn about what it is that's happening in our world regarding refugees. And um, so there's that. There's also clean water. So the last uh, couple of years, our church has been involved with Team World Vision in order to raise money to get clean water in communities in Africa because lack of clean water is still the number one killer of kids uh, all around the world. I mean, kids are dying because there's bacteria in the water that they're drinking, they're getting diarrhea, and they're they're dying of diseases. Um, They're dying because they have to walk five hours one way to get water and some, uh, some kids get abducted along the way. It's very dangerous just because there is a lack of clean water. And so some of my friends, Sinead, Barry Lucas, Dan Lucas, uh, they are tireless in their work uh, with Team World Vision. And um, so I've run marathons the last couple of years. Our church has helped raise about $80,000 to get clean water to communities in Africa. And, and you can read about Charity Water, and you can read about so many different organizations that are doing so many good things for clean water. But here's the thing I just found out, that basically we have the technology to put clean water in all the communities in all the world, and it would cost about $10 billion. That's a lot of money, but if you consider that uh, just the United States alone spends $580 billion every year, on uh, our defense program, 10 billion to get people clean water when that's the number one killer. Like, seems like that should be potentially something that we should think about. Um, and I got that staff from listening to the, to the liturgists, their podcast, Suffering Part One. I'll put the link on the show notes. But um, I, clean water. So, What would it look like to learn more about how you can get involved in getting clean water to communities all around the world that desperately need it? Okay, to something much more light, but in the realm of delight, cooking. My son, Ben, loves cooking. And so we enrolled him in a cooking class. And he brought home these three pastries and, you know, and he was kind of mad after he got back from the class because he said there was like 25 kids and the teachers didn't really keep the kids under control. It was chaos. And Ben really wanted something 
uh, like more smaller and personal. He wanted to be intimately involved with the chefs. And so he's learning. So he's going to go into another cooking class because his grandparents got him that as a Christmas present. And so he's going to learn more about cooking because that's what he wants to learn about. And whenever there's something that he can do at the house, like he can fully make really, really good scrambled eggs all the way on his own, seven years old. Uh, we let him do it. And um, we let him, you know, when, when we do any baking, he he bakes and all that stuff. So um, so that's Ben. My son, my, my friend Micah is really learning a ton about cocktails. He's just big into cocktails. And so we had a gathering the other day and he said, hey, how about I, I sling some cocktails? And so he brought over his big box of cocktails <laughs> and he's really good and he makes these great cocktails. And so that was so fun. That was so great. Um, we just bought my son, Elijah, a telescope. Uh, now it's an $80 telescope. It's not the Hubble. <laughs> okay. Uh, but he's very interested in science and the stars. And, um, so, and it's been, it's been so overcast lately and it is the winter here. And so we haven't used it a whole lot, but I did some quick, just some really quick looking. And, you know, we used to think that the Milky Way was the only galaxy that existed. I mean, can you imagine that? Well, and then we thought there was probably 100 billion galaxies, which, I mean, to go from we're the only galaxy to there are 100 billion, oh my gosh. Well, the most recent studies with 3D imaging, uh, we predict that there are 2 trillion galaxies. And we know the universe is expanding. And we know that about 85 to 90% of the universe is dark matter. So, oh my dear Lord, do we, do we think that perhaps there is more to know out there? Two trillion galaxies and the universe is expanding. So if that is true, then don't you think it's also true that our minds should be expanding? that our hearts and souls should be expanding, that we should put ourselves into the pathway of things that break our hearts and that make us change our minds about certain things that maybe we used to hold really, really confidently. Doesn't it make sense that um, our, our limited capacity to know and be known can be enlarged? So when it comes to God, this changeless God that continues to reveal more and more of God's self to us means that this God that says, I will be what I will be, that is God's name, doesn't it make sense that we're going to continually find out more and more and more about God, that our knowledge of God will be expanding? Like not just as individual people, but as a community, as as the generations progress from like Moses to then the intertestamental period to John the Baptist in the first century to the Apostle Paul uh, to Jonathan Edwards in the 1900s to MLK in the 1960s to now in 2017. Doesn't it make sense that our understanding of who God is and what is, and what God is doing in the world is also expanding? Even our understanding of the Bible and what the Bible says. 
doesn't it make sense that we might, um, in, in our expanding knowledge of even that, that we would learn new things and that we would discover things that, that we didn't know there before? Doesn't it make sense that we didn't nail that like 500 years ago? Um, so my, my invitation for myself mainly, but for all of us, is to adopt the posture of a learner. You don't have to agree with everybody and everything, and you don't have to ad- abandon everything that you've ever believed. I think that wouldn't be a good idea. But if you met people of different faiths, and as you discovered the familiar scriptures that you maybe read, and as you hear about things in the news, in politics, or in science, or in, in, in the world of technology, doesn't it make sense that we would abandon the view that, well, I got this, or well, I know all I need to know about this, and instead adopt the view of a learner that says, there is so much more to learn about this, and there is so much more that I can be curious about, and there are some things that maybe I could stand to re-examine what it is that I believe and why I believe it. So... Um, That's the podcast for today. Let's be learners, ladies and gentlemen. Let's be learners who who allow ourselves to be curious about what we don't know. Let's ask questions about things. When someone spouts off and something, let's say, hey, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm not familiar with that particular person that you're talking about. And I know that makes me look stupid, maybe. But get over it, right? Just say, I don't know. I don't know about that. Tell me all that you know. And then when you hear it, and you're, if you're more curious about it when you get home, look it up on your own. I mean, there's endless ways of finding out about endless things these days. Maybe in 2017, you want to pick something that you're going to learn a whole lot about. Maybe it's not 50 things. Maybe it's one thing. Uh, maybe it's woodworking, or maybe it's cooking, or maybe it is the refugee crisis. Maybe it's clean water. Uh, maybe it's... Uh, who knows what it is? So let's be learners together, gang. I think the world in 2017 needs humble learners that are willing to expand their worldviews for the good of your own soul and for the good of the world. So friends, we're dust and we're breath. We're limited and we're limitless. We're human and we're holy and we are in it together. Grace and peace, my friends.